We pick up the gospel story from Mark with a challenging call from Jesus and a perplexing proclamation about who can enter the kingdom of God. Let's add a little bit of context first. The Gospel of Mark opens with Jesus beginning his ministry and declaring the first words we hear from him, that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. The establishment of justice, of well-being, of peace and deep joy, of equitable opportunity for all. This is at work. The Gospel of Mark goes throughout, fleshing out what God's kingdom is like and how we participate in this new creative work of God. We see at the outset of Jesus' interaction with the wealthy young man in our story that Jesus isn't simply interested in being an ethical teacher. His call isn't one to a civil morality, but to participation in God's hopes and dreams for the world. We're not just called to turn from sin, but to turn towards a vision of life. A vision of life that's not limited to growth into merely successful or nice people. Called beyond morality, beyond a life of collection and consumption, to a life that participates in God's new creation. What I most appreciate, and if I'm being really honest, dislike about this story, is that it doesn't explain how wealthy the young man is. It doesn't tell us if he was born into it, if he married into it, whether he earned it honestly through grit and moxie, or by the clever exploitation of others. This story doesn't allow us to exclude ourselves from the challenge of Jesus by saying, well, I'm not that wealthy. Clearly, he was talking to folks who live in that neighborhood, who can afford that home. Or, yeah, this is a nice story, really important for those who inherited their wealth to hear, but I had to work hard for mine. Or, that guy, he sure needed to learn a lesson after the way he exploited people to get rich. No, this story doesn't allow us to hide. It interrogates each of us in our wealth. We, like the rich young man, can have a habit of coming to Jesus as a consultant. Here are our strengths. We've done these things, accomplished these things, acted this way. We've built this foundation. Now, help us know how we capitalize, how we add a little bit of God into this mix. We'd like to improve ourselves, our family. Noble causes, for sure. And yet, instead of meeting us as a consultant, Jesus meets us as the Christ. The Christ concerned with the salvation and the redemption and the wellness of the entire world. Jesus is the Christ who is proclaiming the end of the present order of things and the establishment of God's kingdom. Albert Schweitzer noted that Jesus always meets us as peculiar stranger, not as familiar friend, beckoning each of us towards a horizon over which none of us can see. Jesus meets us as someone talking about conversion, transformation, change, in a world-ending sense, for us personally, communally, and in the cosmos. Jesus comes not to affirm our understandings, but to upend them for the sake of transformation. 
The biblical narrative, the word of God that we heard is living and active. It's too great to be reduced to our interests. Theologian Cynthia Rigby writes that the Bible is always inviting us to participate in its story rather than promising to be useful to ours. And in this story, the challenge to our relationship with wealth comes at the end of this trilogy of teachings, just before Jesus heads to Jerusalem for his last days. The teachings really flesh out how God's kingdom works, reversing the order. First, of men being elevated above women, holding all the power. Second, as we heard last week, of adults being above children, or those who are weaker being considered less than. And finally this week, here of the rich being privileged above the poor, of our wealth being a sign of status in the kingdom of God. These teachings give us a hint as to the type of kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Now, it's into this challenging call and this perplexing proclamation that it matters that we proclaim that God is good all the time and that all the time God is good. Because it's the cornerstone of our faith together as a community of St. John's that gives us courage to trust Jesus. That this way, this way of releasing our wealth is the way to God. The way of truth and life abundant. One small but not insignificant note in this gospel story is that Jesus, looking at the rich young man, loved him. Jesus' call for the young man to release the hold that wealth had, to redistribute it to the poor, and to follow him as Christ in establishing God's kingdom comes with affectionate love for the young man and comes with an affectionate love to us. So how do we respond to this call from our loving and good God? What does it mean to move from lives of collecting and of consumption to lives of new creation. Think about the story of St. Francis, whose feast day we celebrated last week, and how after his encounter with God, he gave away all that he had received from his rich merchant father and began a life of ministry. I'm struck that the way that so many of my classmates at seminary followed St. Francis's example, coming to school, resetting their lives because of the encounter with Jesus Christ, who left established careers and sold gorgeous homes to come pursue this call to ministry, to live in dorm rooms or in two-bedroom apartments with three children. Maybe there is a call within those stories for you of release and of going to somewhere new. Or maybe it's about reorienting how we engage with our possessions. Maybe the call for you is found in the example of my brother Benjamin, a pediatric ER nurse in D.C. Not an easy job. I'd say his work day in and day out, he's doing his part to bring the kingdom. And yet he started a not-for-profit from scratch. He lived simply sharing a room in an apartment, taking his money to rally teams of nurses, doctors, and volunteers from across the U.S. and take three trips a year into the slums of Carrefour, Haiti, and into the rural mountains of Panama, using his own money to pay fair wages to everyone that helps to set up and run these clinics. They care for hundreds of people a day, bringing holistic healing and a life-saving gift in his spare time. 
My friends Eric and Coralie have an extra bedroom in their home. And they had their hearts broken open through Coralie's work in an inner city public school and from Eric's love for movies. And after watching three films this year that told powerful stories of the impact of foster parents, they're becoming foster parents, filling that extra bedroom with the life of a child with whom they can share their love and possessions. I'm wrestling with what this passage means for me, for my wealth, for my possessions. I'll admit that it's a different consideration for me and for each of us depending on our stage of life. There's less accumulation that I have at this point in my mid-30s. But there are heroes of mine, uh, Art and Peggy Gish, farmers from southern Ohio in part, and they used to say, I have no respect for young radicals. Anyone can be a young radical. We are the old radicals. Show us old radicals. Every year uh, after harvest, they went to the Middle East as part of Christian peacemaking teams, ensuring the safety of hospitalized and war-torn countries and walking children to and from school through the streets of Palestine in the middle of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. There's a moving documentary aptly named Old Radicals chronicling their story and two others. We'll have a link to the site where it's free and available for streaming. That'll be in Connect and on the website this week. And I'm grateful to do wrestling with Jesus' call here as part of this faith community because that's who these gospel accounts went to, right? Intergenerational communities that were seeking God together, determining what it meant to be part of God's kingdom, of God's reversal of the order of things, to participate in the answer to the prayer that we're going to pray together shortly. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We're called together, and we're called each in our own ways, called to a radical life, whether young or old, a life that places the call of Christ above our wealth and all the status and prestige that accompanies it. One way practically to wrestle together with this call is to attend the Reflect and Connect meeting this Tuesday night at 6 p.m. in the youth room. It's an opportunity to gather with others interested in serving the poor and working for justice alongside the marginalized in this region. It's a chance for us to gather together as a church to consider how we, as a wealthy congregation in Ross, prioritize where our time, money, and possessions go on behalf of those with little. Jesus offers to Peter at the end of this passage and to us that reorienting our relationship to wealth for Christ, for the sake of the good news, will result in a hundredfold houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. Now this takes some imagination. This takes trust in a God who is good, in a God of unexpected blessing, the God with whom all things are possible, the God who the author of Hebrews tells us sympathizes with our weaknesses and who we can approach with boldness, the good God who in God's mercy makes room when we resist and in God's grace gives us exactly what we need to take the next step in following Jesus who is the Christ. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. Amen.